This is Patty Davis. I'm a psychic intuitive and medium coming to you from Humboldt County in Northern California. And I'm Judea, a psychic intuitive energy healer coming to you from the island of Kauai. And together we are Spirit Speakers Podcast, where we meet to discuss a variety of topics from two different psychic vantage points. Hi, and welcome to this new episode of Spirit Speakers Podcast. I'm Patty, and I'm here with Jude. Hey, Jude. Hey. We're going to start off with a few announcements before we dive into our topic today. And I'm going to start off with some bullshit that's going on with Instagram. We've posted before and talked to you about some fraudulent sites that have been up in our name. And now there's some new sites that will have half Jude's posts and half my posts. And there's a few of those out as well. One of them even has more followers than I do. So we want to let you know again, that we each have one site and one site only. And we also do not collaborate with anybody on any other third sites. So just be careful out there. And you know, there's so much scamming going on and so many healers are reporting this happening to them. So be safe and be aware of that. And then we also have some good things to report and I'll hand that over to you, Jude. Well, one exciting thing that's happening on my end is I have secured a new physical location downtown Kapa'a for those of you who are on island of Kauai or visiting in the future. I will be opening up some in-person sessions. I'm not going to have a lot of openings for 2022, but in 2023, it's going to be a lot more open for those of you who are planning vacations to Kauai in the future. So I'm super excited about that. I'll be releasing some dates in May. Patty and I also are going to be doing a retreat in Willow Creek, California, which is on the Humboldt Trinity line of California near the beautiful Trinity River. We will be collaborating with some of our previous podcast guests, Mariana, who is an herbalist and a shamanic astrologist, and with our friend Jenna, who is going to be leading us in a breath work during this weekend. It'll be a one night overnight at a beautiful campground. There will be cabin options or camp out options. So tentatively, it will be July 23rd and 24th, but we will officially announce it probably in the next month. So save the date. And Patty, you have some interesting things happening too. So what's your good news? Hey, Jude. First of all, I just want to say how excited I am for you with your studio to go have a reading with Jude and top it off with a sound healing is such a magical experience. So I'm just so excited that you're going to be able to offer that to people. Thank you. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, Jude, I'm super excited to announce that I have written a book. It's called It's Too Much, and it's a children's book that I wrote for empathic and sensitive children. I've had so many parents that have come to me that have children that are super sensitive and ask for tools and assistance on how to best help them with their gift. And so this is a sweet little book that's written for those kids that I'm hoping will help the parents as well. The opening date for this is May 15th. So shortly after this podcast releases, and if I get my act together, I'm hoping to do a pre-sale online through my website at wingandether.com. 
And if you are a bookstore or a boutique, you'll be able to purchase the book through your regular methods through Ingram Spark. Um, and then I'm also going to be selling them to the general public through my website. I'm not doing the Amazon thing just yet. So again, they'll be available through Wing and Ether and I'm super excited about that and to be able to offer that and just hoping that it will reach some children that really need that assistance. All right. So diving right into our episode, our topic this episode is sacred sites that we have visited. And this is going to be one of those trippy episodes because our friend Jude here has such amazing stories. I was telling my husband last night, you know, that I'm about to do the podcast and he asked what it was on. And I said, yeah, this is how it's going to go. Jude's going to be like, so I was under the pyramid. I slayed a dragon. I collected the blood. I traveled to another dimension. I returned it to save humanity, blah, blah, blah. And I said, and my stories are going to be like, well, we went to this really cool church that smelled really good. And then we had cheese and crackers and the cheese was really delicious. So it's so funny. And it's funny because I told my husband this, and then I sent a little voicemail to Jude about this kind of joking around. And then she sent one back to me. Yeah. And I was like, I hope you're not going to be intimidated by my crazy stories. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing because as I was going over the different places I've been and I thought about the stuff that happened, to be honest with you, I was like, this is probably some of my most out there stories. And I tend to get a little bit anxious when we do the podcast titles that are, you know, a little more intense because I worry about how the audience is going to receive these very personal stories. Like, for example, extraterrestrials and Lemurians and even the fairies podcast, you know, that's some pretty out there things. But to my surprise, I got a lot of really positive feedback from people all over the world who were having similar experiences and felt validated through me sharing my testimony of what happened to me or how I saw things. So, you know, but going into this one, this is definitely going to be one of those really out there podcasts. And in fact, I almost think that the extraterrestrials Lemurians podcasts are prerequisites to the stories I'm going to tell on this one. So, so you all know, for any first time listeners, you're diving into a, a big one today. My more sedate stories will help balance out your more intense stories. So <laughs> yeah, maybe we should do every other one so people can kind of catch their breath. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. So take it away, Jude. Just jump into a good one. Okay. I've had the privilege of going to some pretty cool places in my life. I'm not like a super well-traveled person, but when I do go places, I try to find the mystical things to see. And the first one that I want to share with you was, I think it was on my 35th birthday, but it was one of my actual birthdays. And I happened to be in Belize and my friends that I was traveling with said, we want to take you to this ancient site for your birthday. It's called Tikal and it's in Guatemala, which was right over the border. And I'm like, sounds cool. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know what it looked like. And the way that I work is I don't really like to pre-look up things. I kind of like the surprise and the adventure of just what's going to unfold. So I really had no preconception. I had no idea what to call was and what I was about to step into. So it's the day of my birthday and we're walking into Tikal. And I have no idea until I arrive there that in fact, Tikal is this place. It's super ancient. Maybe we don't even know how old this place is, but it's this 
area of land in Guatemala that has these stacked pyramids, like a very tall stacked pyramid, similar to the very famous Mayan pyramids, but they almost have a, a much deeper angle on them. So they seem to go very tall, very quickly, and they look like steps stacked up on top of each other. And they're made out of this really dark stone. And actually, when I got up to the site, I had a vague familiarity of having seen these before somewhere in my peripherals, but I really had no idea that this was what I was going to see that day until I was actually walking into the place. This is also one of the very first places as an adult that I had gone to that were these huge stone structures, this ancient site. And by this point in time, about 35 years old, my psychic gifts were pretty open, pretty strong. I was already working professionally as a psychic. So I was more open to receive and see things. But because this was my first time going to a place like this as an adult, I was not prepared for what was about to happen. As we were walking in, the first phenomenal thing started to unfold. And it was sort of like this awareness of the world that we're in was fading away, becoming further and further away around me. It was like I was going into this tunnel and it was sort of getting echoey. And there was just this sense of the modern world, this place that I live was disappearing behind me as I was moving forward but it felt like I was stepping back in time. And this is before I had even seen the first pyramid. And I thought to myself, well, is this really happening? But I really feel like I'm going through a tunnel and I'm stepping back in time. It was like there was this definitive point, like a line in the sand. And once I had crossed it, I was moving back into time. Next thing I know, I have two spirits flanking me. There's two male energies. They look sort of in this kind of ancient regalia. They look about middle-aged. They look like warriors. They're a little bit intimidating. And I'm also like, well, I'm in some strange country in a strange land in a strange ancient site that I know nothing about. So I'm just going to keep quiet, walk forward. Yes, I notice that these beings are there, but I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to give them too much attention because I was feeling a bit nervous about it. I'm not really certain if these two spirits with me are there for good or for bad, but we come up to this pyramid and you really can't appreciate how huge and massive and beautifully created these pyramids are through the photographs because when you walk up to them it's giant it just reaches up into the sky and it just takes your breath away and I just remember being like oh my gosh like I didn't even know at the same time I'm also feeling a little trepidatious and nervous because I have these spirits with me my friends are just you know in their own world they're walking really far ahead of me and they just run up on the pyramid they just jump up on it and run up and they're playing like kids. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? I don't know if we should be climbing on this. You know, this is like, I don't know if that's very respectful. So I get up to the edge of this one pyramid and I pause and I'm really almost frightened to touch this thing. And I finally acknowledged these two spirits next to me. And I said, is it okay if I step on this pyramid and they said yes and so I walked up and when you walked up this pyramid there was sort of this doorway opening uh, near the top of it and when I walked up into the opening I could see that there was this whole sort of courtyard like a giant field with many pyramids flanked around every corner of it and when I walked up to the doorway this massive gust of wind blew back at me and it just went through my heart, my mind, every 
cell of my being got blown back by this wind. And as that was happening, I had this massive like flash, like multiple images, like, like of everything I ever remembered from a previous lifetime having lived there at Tikal. And it was this total knowing, this total remembrance, this undeniable, like I knew with every facet of my being and I remembered as though this life no longer existed that I lived there. And at the same time that I was experiencing that, these two spirits said to me, welcome home. And I started just crying and tearing up because I knew it was like the weirdest thing because this is the first second I'm walking up there and I felt such the sense of familiarity that I could have told you what every corner of this place was. It's like sort of visiting a house that you grew up in that you haven't been to in many years and you go back and all of a sudden your memory starts jogging about, oh yeah, there was that little closet down the hallway and that one door had that weird creak in it. Like it was like that. It was just like this remembrance of something that you haven't thought about in a super long time yet all of it was there all at once and I've never had anything like that happen to me before it has happened again which I will tell in another story on this episode but this was the first time something like this had happened to me and I was just overcome with this sort of homecoming this feeling of I'm back this feeling of the gratitude to be able to come back to somewhere that I was so fond of in my life, right? Now, as me and my two friends were walking around, I was silent. I wasn't telling them that this was happening. Uh, I was just letting them enjoy their experience. Obviously, they know that I'm psychic. They probably were wondering what was going on and my reality at that point in time. But we started meandering through and you'd come to these massive structures and then there would just be like jungle and trails. And then all of a sudden you'd come to this other pyramid with this other big opening. And it was just stunning everywhere that you went. It was so magical. It was like this big surprise prize around every corner. What was really strange is we were going through these openings and I was seeing the world. I was seeing the community, the ancient peoples of Tikal as though they were actually still there, as though no time had passed, as though the pyramids themselves had not been aged and worn, that there were still families moving about, going about their day, trading their wares, raising their children, laughing and singing at the bases of the pyramids like it was like that but what really was odd to me and this is where I get really weird because <laughs> I want to say this first before I say anything else on the rest of this podcast I'm not here to rewrite the history of any of these ancient places that I've been to I don't mean to offend anybody who comes from those areas if I say anything that is out of touch okay I'm just here to tell you what my personal experience was and you can do with that information what you will because even at the time that I was going through this I didn't understand what I was seeing it took me more years after that to really understand vibrationally or psychically from a clairvoyant standpoint what I was actually experiencing so when I was going through these sites you know we'd open up into this area there'd be this big courtyard there'd be a couple pyramids and I suddenly saw that this was like the center point of the town. Like all the villagers would gather here. This is where all the trading would happen. This is where the community would meet and everything else around this one area felt a little more private. What really was strange to me was that I could see everybody from this ancient time 
but it was not a residual imprint. They were seeing me just as much as I was seeing them. It was like they were there, like fully conscious, fully living about their life and fully acknowledging that I was in that space walking by where I would be walking and I would see a woman gather her children, not sort of out of caution or that she was afraid of me, but sort of just like they all understood that me walking through that space was not normal. (laughs) And they would look at me with awe and not necessarily concerned, but it was sort of like if, you know, an elephant just suddenly walked through your yard, you would be like, whoa, like what's happening? There's an elephant in the yard. It had that kind of energy to it. And it was spooking me out that I was seeing them and that they were acknowledging me. Now, going to this ancient site that is long gone, and this being the first time that I was in a space like this, I sort of had an expectation that I might pick up a residual imprint, like a little flash of a memory of imprints of things that have happened here i did not on any level expect to see everybody living about their day as though they were still there and it was sort of like there was this dimensional time warp where they were still existing and thousands of years had not passed and i couldn't explain it to you it was mind-boggling to me at the time that i was in there and then at the same time there was an awareness that they knew who i was They knew me as being part of their community. And I have been mowing over this over the last few years and putting pieces together. And I've had to like sort of have other experiences down the line over the years to really understand what happened to me when I went to Tikal. And this is what I theorize. I think that this civilization that was there had ascended. I think that they had done what we are trying to now do globally here and ascend into a higher dimensional plane. And if we ascend into what we're saying is supposed to be this fifth dimensional plane, the concept of time completely is washed away. A sense of timelessness that exists in these higher dimensional planes. So even though thousands of years may have passed on the earthly plane, to them, maybe they've only just descended. Maybe it's just the first few moments after this great experience because everybody in that space felt very psychic, very telepathic, very intuitive, very spiritually centered, very grounded. They were all these really advanced souls. And I theorize based on the experiences I've had after is that this is a community of people that somehow reached some sort of spiritual ascension and collectively they had ascended into a higher dimensional plane. So from the earthly realm, we think that this is some lost civilization that literally disappeared. And if you look at the historical reference of Tikal, they just say they disappeared. We don't know what happened to them. I believe that they ascended into a fifth dimensional plane and being a clairvoyant walking into that space, I was able to see them in that dimensional plane. I also believe that I was actually somebody that was part of that community that likely passed away right before that ascension had happened. And when my energy field came back into the space, they recognized my energy immediately because they are ascended beings, because they're super open and super psychic. And even though I was in this different body, even though I wasn't the same person that left that community before they ascended, that they recognized me as I was coming in. So it was sort of like I almost had a personal tour with these beings who felt like they were reuniting with somebody that they knew and showing me a place that I left 
a long, long time ago, knowing I have cycled through all these lifetimes, knowing that I have not been here or been able to witness it in a really long time. And they seem very pleased to be able to like walk me through that and help me remember everything that I had once left behind. It was an incredibly enlightening and emotional experience for me. I learned a lot about dimensions and I learned about ascended consciousness. I mean, I learned so much just through this one experience. You know, I will be telling another story that's very similar about going to an ancient site, but so far Tikal is the only one that I went to that I feel has a whole community living on a different dimensional plane existing on a different timeline because I have been to ancient sites where there's been no sense of that whatsoever. It's like empty, like the souls are gone. It's just residual. It's a totally different texture, a different way of seeing things when you see an imprint or a memory and when there's literally consciousness communicating and talking back to you in real time. So anyways, that is my experience in Tikal. I know it's pretty out there, but that's what happened. That's what I think was actually happening on a vibrational level. Wow, G, that's amazing. So I have a question. When you were done with that experience, did you have any other flashbacks or did you meditate on it or did you get any more information about your life during that period? I actually think I was a man. When the whole time I was walking through, I felt like I was supposed to be a man. And the other thing that was interesting is some of the places that we went to, I would sort of speak up to my friends and be like, like that one area, I said, this was the place where they did all the trading and this is where the community gathered. And then they'd have this little podium where the archeologists had done these diggings and they had assessed based on their findings that that area was in fact the area where all the trading would happen because they would find all these like artifacts and pots and things like that. So as we were walking through and I would say, I believe this is what was happening in this area. There would be some sort of like little wooden sign there that would validate the thing that I was seeing. So it was really tripping me out even on that level that I would be seeing this and there was something that I could read that would collaborate with what I was picking up. And other than remembering that I was an old man in that previous lifetime there, uh, I, I didn't have any other specific downloads except for this intense sense of just knowing and familiarity in the whole place. And what else is interesting is as we were leaving, when we crossed that threshold line that I said, the sort of invisible force field line, when I stepped out of it on the other side, that world felt like it was slipping away down a long hallway and then coming into focus was this modern world that we were in now. It literally felt like a, a time machine or like a time portal that I walked through. It's a trippy experience and it's the first time I had that, but it's also an experience that I've had multiple times going into ancient sites. Wow. Very interesting. One of my experiences, and I've talked a little bit about this in past episodes, um, was that a friend of mine, we were both in psychic classes together. We went to Florence, Italy together, and it was a very spiritual experience. We're also both artists. So, you know, we went to so many art museums and saw so many amazing historical pieces of art that we'd only seen in books before. And then we also went to many, many different churches, cathedrals, monasteries, that type of thing. And we would each have our own reaction to that. Like we'd be in a place where I felt very nurtured and loved and she would feel horrible or anxious. And there were others where we both felt good and we both felt bad. There's one church and I couldn't find the name of it. It was a monastery. And up around the back of the church was kind of a dorm situation 
where people had stayed. And we traveled up there and we had to go in a group that was kind of led by somebody. So we couldn't really run out as easily, but she and I both looked at each other like, what the hell? And we could not get out of there faster. And I considered kind of telling the leader that I wasn't feeling well and asking if I could slip back out the back way or something, but we made it through. And we both just really picked up on this intense energy of abuse and violence. And we both were kind of physically ill from it. So that that's how our experience was when we were in, in Florence going to these places. We were f- really picking up on the energy of them. And when you think about this, when you go into an old like let's say a church situation. There's so much energy there for hundreds or thousands of years of people, you know, there for weddings and celebrating and being happy and baptisms and births. And then there's funerals and people going there praying for redemption and, you know, praying to be cleared of their sins out of guilt and shame and trying to be healed of illnesses out of desperation. So there's such a vast variety of energy that has been there by so many people in so many years that traveling and visiting these old churches and cathedrals and basilicas was really intense for me. And it went way beyond recognizing the architecture or the art or, you know, hearing about the stories of it. It it was rather intense. So we went into the Basilica Santa Croce in Florence, Italy, which is a beautiful Basilica church situation. And it has many different areas within it. And this one area that we went to was a burial site and it held tombs of many famous people. Michelangelo was there, Rossini, Machiavelli, Galileo. All of their tombs are in this building and they're kind of built like crypts outside of the wall. So they're against the wall but the actual tomb comes out from the wall. So we were there and I, I have this thing with Michelangelo. I don't know if you guys experienced this or if you have Jude. It's kind of like, I'll be sitting in school when I was younger, listening to my teacher drone on, not paying attention. And then my teacher would say, Michelangelo. And it's like, I would sit up and say, wait, who, what? What's that? You know, it's like just a name can trigger something. And so I used to joke with my friends that I was Michelangelo reincarnated and my friend would be, so it's definitely Michelangelo. You can't just be some other artist incarnate. I'm like, oh no, it's Michelangelo. And I was kind of joking around, but I have this, this attraction to him. We have this, this thing together. Maybe you were his lover in another life. (laughs) Oh, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I like to think that I was him doing these amazing masterpieces, but anyway, um, I just really like him. So when I got to his tomb, I spent a little time there and he was sitting on his tomb. Like the ghost of him was sitting on his tomb. And I was just like, holy cow. And I could see him, I could see ghosts kind of holographically, but he was sitting on this tomb. And as I looked around the room, not every single tomb had this, but many of the tombs, and and I think they were all men, at least all the ghosts that I saw in there were men. It may be all men buried in there. There were other men either lying on their tomb leaning against their tomb, sitting on their tomb. And it was really trippy. And so later on that night, my friend and I, we talked about everything that we experienced and I kind of meditated on that. And it's really interesting because you think of when people pass that we have this connection with them. We can think of our grandfather that has passed. And even if he's really moved into the oneness, when we think about them or come across memories of them, it kind of calls them in their spirit comes in and is with us. Sometimes their spirit's with us and that's why we come up with memories, but we can call their soul in to be with us. Well, these people that are buried there, all of these tourists that go through are calling them in. 
you know, our thinking about them and going over the history of them and are amazed by them. So all this energy was calling these, these men in and they were all looking a little bored, but hanging out in this, this area by their tomb, almost kind of like, I felt sorry for them in a way, almost like, leave me the hell alone. Like, let me fully ascend. And it was just a trip. And through the rest of the visit there, we went and we sat in some of the pews just quietly. And Michelangelo kept kind of like, I'd see him peek around the corner and then he'd be up, you know, up in front of the church and then he'd be over on the side. So I felt like he was kind of wandering around and I was sensing him, but it was really interesting to see these men almost like staring out at the crowds in a way of kind of like, let us go. (laughs) Such a trip. That's interesting. So Do you feel like they were consciously aware of the people visiting or were they just sort of zoned out in their own spaciness? They were fully aware. They were there looking at the crowds. They weren't interacting, but it was almost like they were at work for the day. You know, like people were there during the hours to see the tombs and it's almost like their ghost appeared for part of it. And not every single one, but they didn't look thrilled to be there. It wasn't like an excitement or like, oh, check out these modern folk. (laughs) I find that so interesting. And while you were telling the story, I thought that before you even said anything, I was like, oh, everybody's energy is focused on them. So they're sort of creating these like little portals for these people to come back and manifest because they're trying to connect with their energy. So I was like already going through that thought process as you like said that you came up with that same conclusion afterwards. It totally makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't really think that they're, they, they didn't appear to be stuck souls by any stretch of the imagination. And I think that that life was very important to them because they were all pretty famous or pretty well-known people for their craft. And so they do have an attraction to that time period. And they had people there that were interested in them and what they offered to that time period. But it did feel a little constrictive to me. I, I kind of felt sorry for them. Like we needed to shut the door, turn the lights off and let them leave. Let them rest. Right. Let them rest. Those places you go to that people are always leaving the flowers and that it's a really great thing. But yeah, maybe that they're sort of like constantly getting pulled back into this earthly realm through the consciousness of others people's desire to connect with them right so very interesting yeah yeah and I love cemeteries whenever we travel I I usually hit the old cemeteries that are around there because it just feels very positive to me and it feels like I'm walking into a group of interesting people but it was kind of that same thing but on a deeper level where there's constantly people there right thinking about you and yeah I also like going into graveyards too I think they're like kind of peaceful and amazing. There's something serenity, some sweetness about graveyards to me. I just like it. But speaking of churches, you know, I, I have a little church sort of story. Uh, last year, about this time, I went to Peru. And in my trip to Peru, I actually got to see a lot of ancient sites. So a lot of my stories have to do with this trip to Peru I took last year. Well, originally when I went to Peru, I was just going into the jungle to do my medicine retreat. And then I was going to leave and go up to Costa Rica. And I wasn't going to have any opportunity to see any of the ancient ruins of Peru. I was going into the jungle and out. And unfortunately, I was not aware that I needed to get a yellow fever vaccine in order to fly into Costa Rica from Peru, because you don't need that from the states going into Costa Rica. And I was not able to go to Costa Rica, literally like within 48 hours of me having to leave. And I was like, oh, it's a disaster. I made this plan and I'm supposed to be in Costa Rica for two more weeks. 
And so all of a sudden everything shifted and now I was just going to stay in Peru and the group that I was with were like, well, let's go to Cusco because Cusco is this place in the mountains of Peru and there's all these ancient relics there and it's a really cool place. And I didn't know anything about Cusco and I had no intention or plan on seeing any of the ancient sites of Peru. So I was oblivious once again to like what I was about to step into and I was like, sure, sounds great. We got on a plane. We headed to Cusco. Cusco is this like beautiful little quaint town in the top peaks of some mountainous range in Peru. And uh, being in the jungle in sort of this more rootsy, rustic area, you land in Cusco and it's just like, you know, brick sidewalks and these ancient like gothic looking churches and these huge statuaries and craziness going on so we we land and we get to the center of cusco which is like a like a plaza it's like a plaza there's a fountain in there and we're just landing and we're hungry and we're just trying to head to a restaurant and go you know relax for a moment but when you land in cusco the air is super thin because you just suddenly jump up in this elevation and i was warned of this on the way there but in, in all legitimacy you do feel like you're not getting a full breath and you start getting a little dizzy and woozy and it takes you a few days to kind of acclimate to the elevation up there but as soon as we got out of the car and we were on the plaza and we were walking towards the restaurant, I immediately got flanked by two men once again. One of them was a Spaniard and one of them was an Incan. It was sort of like this sense of, I know this sounds crazy, but I swear they know I'm coming and they know I can see and they want to tell me the story. It always feels like that. But they're both walking with me and they just start telling me what's going on. They were both telling me that a long time ago that they were both living at the same time and the Incan was the leader of the Incan indigenous beings, people there. And the Spaniard guy was this like captain or leader or general sort of felt like of these foreign people that came in. They're telling me about this conflict that they had had back in the day okay but in the way that they were speaking to me now is that they were both souls that have fully crossed over so these were not earthbound spirits these were spirits that once lived as those people crossed over learned all their lessons got all their insight and sort of came back in just in this moment as i was walking through their town to sort of introduce me or tell me the story about this place and i thinking as I'm walking through Cusco that, oh, wow, I am like really out of air because I think that there's these two ancient people talking to me and telling me this whole story. So we get up to the restaurant, we're eating, and about halfway through the meal, I look to my friend Chris Dyer, who was a guest on one of our podcasts, and he's Peruvian. And I said, there's these two guys with me right now. One of them is Spanish. One of them is Incan and I was describing what they look like because they had these beautiful clothes on and I told them how they were telling me about this conflict and Chris says yeah that's such and such and such and such and he named their names and he says in fact there's this two huge statues out there on the plaza of those guys and wow. yeah and I had no idea I was like what and he says <laughs> yeah they're like it's like a famous story about a standoff that happened between the original Incans that were here when the Spaniards came and basically invaded and took over everything. And he said, all these churches that you're looking at around this plaza are built on top of the Incan ruins. So when we go out there, because we hadn't even looked around yet, he says, you're going to see these 
gothic just massive huge ornate churches and then underneath them it's the um the stonework and i'm sure all of you have seen it and i encourage you to look it up if you haven't it's those stones that are like precision fit together like they're rounded on the edges and they're you can't even fit a piece of paper in between the cracks of them and it's like these wallways that go through all of cusco about approximately i don't know four feet plus high and then these spaniards came in they just built these religious churches on top of it which felt like such a like i was offended i was offended just by knowing that i was not aware of that when i came in but it was also interesting to me that the two main players of that story came to tell me about it but i want to say also that they have made peace with each other like they were speaking sort of as like sort of not in conflict they weren't mad at each other they were saying this is the thing that happened and we want to share the story with you so it was sort of interesting that's the first time I've ever been visited from the other side from souls that had a big part in our history here on earth and that they were no longer playing out the karma or the imbalance that they had with each other. It was very interesting to me, but I thought it was a really great validation. On a side note, I never actually went into one of those churches. I couldn't do it. Like the group that I was with kept wanting to go into the churches and Chris kept being like, oh, they're like incredible. They're super ornate. And I just had bad, bad feelings. Like same thing, like you said, Patty, like just who knows? I just felt like sort of that abuse and mm. that kind of energy just from outside looking at them. And I never actually walked in. And then later on, everybody went and they came out looking like deer in headlights. And they were like, oh, like they had to shake the heebie-jeebies off of them. They're <laughs> like, that was like a weird vibe in there. I was like, oh, I'm so glad I didn't go in there. Yeah, that was my initial experience going into Cusco. Fascinating. There's so many places all, all throughout Europe, too, where there were goddess temples or pagan temples. And then when Christianity came through, they would build a church on top of that space. You know, it's kind of like the goddess Bridget became St. Bridget. And that's even trippier because then when you visit those places, there's so many distinct different types of rituals and beliefs in that one building or that one general area that, um, yeah, it's, it's a trip. Yeah, it was like a, yeah, a clash of two totally different histories of two totally different times. And who really knows how old those ink and stone walls were? Who knows yeah. how old they were? It was such a juxtaposition of these two totally different realities and totally different worlds. I highly recommend anybody going to Cusco. The people are very nice there and it's a beautiful place. And there's so many things to see in that little area. Sounds amazing. All right, so I will talk about Glastonbury, England. I was really fortunate enough to travel there with a group of women on a priestess pilgrimage. And Glastonbury is so magical. It's believed to be the island of Avalon, you know, from the tales of King Arthur and Guinevere. It's believed that that's where that whole area resides. It's also believed to be the resting place of the Holy Grail. And there are pagans and druids and early Christians that all use this site, that found this as a very sacred spiritual site. And this is, again, one of those places I we just spoke about where there's just a myriad of different religious beliefs and, and using it for different purposes, all wrapped up in the same geographical area. And it's it's believed that Jesus traveled to Glastonbury as well. So there's a huge pagan druid and Christian connection there. It's also believed to be the heart chakra, but also the heart chakra of Mother Earth. So it's the heart chakra and the upper chakras, but it's got this nice 
grounding Gaia energy that's lovely. And the whole time I was there, I was having throat issues the whole time. And and I kept telling my friend, I know this is the heart, but I keep getting throat. And then when I researched it after I got back, it also represents the throat and the flow between the heart and the throat chakra, which made a lot of sense to me. So Glastonbury is this magical, deep, mystical place. And when we arrived in Glastonbury, we were immediately met by a pair of ravens as we climbed up the steep mountain of the tour, this hill. And they followed us all the way up and we stopped and meditated about halfway there. And in the middle of the meditation, we heard some noises and I opened one eye and all these sheep <laughs> joined us and were just laying down and resting around us. So we came out of meditation with this group of sheep. So it was just magical, but at the base of the tour, which is this huge hill and there's a tower that is placed above that for St. Michael at the tip top of it. And it's very sacred space at the base is chalice. Well, and this is a natural spring and it's been preserved in kind of this beautiful garden temple setting. And it's believed to be the gateway to the spiritual world. And there are two sides and they are separate and have separate entrances. There's the red spring, the chalice well, and then there's the white spring. And the red spring, the water actually runs very red in color. It comes out of a spout out of a lion's mouth and it runs down through this beautiful well. And like I said, there's beautiful gardens around there and it's very serene and quiet and representing the goddess energy. The goddess Bridget is the guardian of the space. And it's just very contemplative and meditative. And I had this wonderful meditation there where I was really able to tap into the divine feminine and that goddess energy. And then over the wall is the white spring and the mineral content of this spring makes it run kind of white. So the red spring is considered the blood as women having their menstrual cycle and it's the blood of women. It it's really high in a mineral that makes it run red. And then over the white spring is considered the masculine and that white represents sperm and the mineral content makes that water run white. So over on the red side, the feminine side, it's all quiet and serene. And then you can hear this ruckus happening from the white side. There's drumming and chanting and yelling, and it just sounds chaotic and crazy. And so I spent a lot of time in the red spring. I really wasn't interested too much in going over to the white spring. I just was a little intimidated by it. And I just didn't really have much interest to go over there. So we, we spent the day in Glastonbury and we, as we got ready to leave, I had collected water from the Red Spring and you're invited to do that. And I didn't have any from the White Spring and I really wanted to be able to balance out the divine masculine with the divine feminine. So between the two areas is a little spigot of water coming out from the White Spring. So I ran from, everybody's waiting for the bus. I ran up there to get the water and there's a huge jug that's being filled. It's sitting on the ground by this white spigot of white water from the White Spring. And I look over down the walkway and there's a circle of people kind of intimidating looking and they're drumming and singing. And I thought, oh, I'm not going to go interrupt their drumming and say, hey, can I jump in on your water? So I just very quietly stuck my water bottle underneath the spigot and collected some water. And then I hear, what the? And you can beep, beep. And I look over and this woman is running towards me. She's very short, very round. She's wearing kind of tattered clothing. She's barefoot. She has this long, messy gray hair, missing a few teeth, um, just a full like woodsy, witchy character, really intense. And she runs up to me and she's screaming in my face, what the, you know, yelling at me. 
you just contaminated my water. How dare you do that? You put your dirty bottle over my water. Anything that dripped from your bottle has dripped into my water. And now I need to start over. And she was fully right. Fully right. It was super disrespectful. You know, here I am, this dumb tourist trying to get my little bottle of water before my bus leaves. So I sneak in on her flow here, but it was a gigantic bottle she was filling up. And so I apologize. I said, you're right. You're totally right. I'm sorry. And she keeps screaming in my face. And I was kind of like, is this, is this happening? Like, should I put my arms up to protect my face? Should I take off running? And it was just one of those surreal moments, even though she showed up in feminine, it was almost like I was battling with the masculine. And when I thought about it later, I thought, you know, as a child growing up, I didn't have a lot of really positive male role models. And I do have this disrespect or this disillusionment with the masculine sometimes. Sorry, men out there, but it's true. And so the fact that I didn't want to go over there and give my respects or spend time with the divine masculine, but I was willing to go steal a little bit of water as a tourist to take home, totally manifested in this confrontation with this witchy woman. So she continued to scream in my face and I finally just took my bottle and I ran like, like a little girl, <laughs> this grown woman, I ran, I just ran from her as fast as I could. I got back to the area where my friends were and she's like, what the hell? And I'm like, oh my God, you would not believe what happened. <laughs> and I took that water and I poured it out. You know, it was one of those things where, yeah, it was kind of a violent encounter, but it had this surreal energy that I was kind of like, was that person even real? And did that really even happen? It almost happened slow-mo and, and just totally bizarre. So I did end up getting a little bit of white water from someone else and did a lot of meditating on the divine masculine and, and kind of working on my relationship with the masculine energy. And, and it's really interesting because I personally have a, a lot of masculine energy that I run on. So that was a trip, but Glastonbury is so magical in all of England. And there's such a fairy presence there. Like I've never experienced before. We went to Glendalock in Ireland on this. My husband and I met after the priestess pilgrimage and went over and Glendalock is this early medieval monastic settlement from the early Celtics. And it's from like the sixth century or something way, way, way back. It has like tall towers and crosses and chapels and churches and headstones. And it's all kind of a ruin, but it's amazing and beautiful. And it just has this very deep, serious, pious energy about it. And my husband and I walked through that. It, it's the veil's really thin there. It really, you know, is a liminal place and, and takes you to other dimensions and back in time. And it was intense, but beautiful. But as we left, there's trails that wrap all around there. We walked off on this trail and I kept sensing that something was watching me in the forest. And I stopped at this one place and I was just dumbfounded. It was the, the most fairy s forest area that I have ever seen in my life. It's like, I could see, and I, I've never been one of those people that have been able to really see a fairy, which I think is really sad, but as close as being able to visually see a fairy in my mind's eye, I knew that it was just covered with them. And I stopped and just stared into this forest. And I was just taken into that to come from this really heavy place of grave sites and chapels and everything into this playful foresty fairy area. I was taken back to childhood when I used to sit and beg and pray that I would be able to see a fairy it was just magical. And my husband felt it too. And 
it's kind of rare for him to admit to these things, but we just paused there for a while and, and enjoyed this energy. And then the rest of our walk was just laughter and fun and noticing flowers. And so it's so interesting that so many places in both Ireland and, and England, these sacred sites have this really pious, religious, serious energy, but it's surrounded by this playful fairy gnome experience. It's, it, it's a trip. Wow, I love that story. And I'm quite impressed with your husband. <laughs> Going back to your story with the semen water. <laughs> Sorry. I for sure would have dumped that out immediately after having that experience. I just like picturing this crazy toothless woman just costing you right after this totally serene divine feminine like fountain experience, right? I can I can totally hear the echoing. Nuts. Yeah, it sounds crazy. Um, but I have to ask you, when you got the new water, what did you end up doing with it? You know, I actually still have it. I use the red water quite a bit when I'm making tinctures or potions or something like that because I tap into the, the divine feminine. And I actually, to be honest, I haven't used the white water at all yet. It's still in jars in my apothecary cabinet. You're I'm, <laughs> I'm going to continue on with uh, being in Cusco. And my friend, Chris, who is from Peru, one morning he's like, okay, well, I'm going to take you to this really cool site. It's called Saxe Woman. And I was like, okay, that sounds great. And uh, he drags us up this, like, I feel like it was a couple miles uphill at a 45 degree angle. Like I was wow. dying. I was like, oh, where are you? I was like mad, you know, <laughs> like you didn't tell me we were going to be <laughs> hiking for two hours to get up to this spot. But I tell you what, when we got in, I was not disappointed. So Saxe Woman is, um, it's a very famous, well-known ancient site in Peru. And it's just walls and walls and walls of these huge, huge stones, bigger than a car, like the sum the size of a small building. And it's just thousands and thousands of these stones that are stacked and squashed together, almost looks like they were just perfectly carved to fit each other and none of them are square they're all random shapes and it goes on forever there's just walls and walls and walls and walls it would take you a whole day to walk around this whole place and you cannot help but be absolutely sort of flabbergasted when you see this you're just like how is this even possible how did they pinch these rocks together that are just gigantous down to like pebbles that are the size of your palm and all of it just like a perfect puzzle piece it's incredible so when we went in there i was already so overwhelmed that before we could even really tour around and it, there wasn't many people because this was during covid times and we were basically the only tourists in all of cusco as far as i knew like literally we were the only people so we had every site to ourselves during this trip and when we got in, I was so overcome, I had to stop everybody and be like, I need to lay down, I need to meditate. You know, P Patty and I have talked about that feeling of tugging, like just close your mouth, close your eyes and lay down and you just need to take in this information right now. Okay, so I'm also saying this with this disclaimer of I'm not here to rewrite the history or tell you all what's really going on. I'm just telling you what I saw. So prior to this moment that I went to lay down next to these stones and meditate, I want to let you know that there was a lot of ET stuff coming in for me as I was in Peru. A lot of legitimate alien, extraterrestrial, not human looking 
beings, okay, were communicating with me. Well, when I laid down, I was visited by two beings. One of them was this gray ET. Um, they had very dark gray skin. I have seen these particular type of gray beings multiple times in my life, but this particular trip was when I really started getting introduced to them in a deeper way. They are not the grays that I would consider like the classic Area 51 grays. They're a different kind of gray. They have more texture to their skin. They don't feel like mechanical. They have more, I don't want to say personality, or they just feel more organic, I guess is the way that I want to say it. Highly intelligent, very advanced, very aware of what's going on and have some level of empathy and emotion. You know, they're like a little bit different, but they're these very, very dark skinned gray beings with this kind of interesting texture on their skin. They have these long skinny limbs and these big oversized heads and these big eyes. And they're not very tall. I'd say they're, you know, maybe four to five feet tall if I was going to just give a range, right? And on my way to Cusco, when I was in the airport, one of these beings showed up in the airport with me. And I know this sounds crazy, but this is what happened. I lost it. I started having a massive panic attack and I was sort of like falling on the ground with my friends as we were going to Cusco. Mind you, I had just come out of a two-week plant medicine ceremony. I was not on anything. I was totally 100% sober, but I think because I've had so many activations, I was very, very open. So I was seeing stuff with a, le a level of clarity that is, you know, levels up from what my normal day-to-day -day is. And when I was in the airport and these gray beings showed up, for one, I was shocked because I knew nobody else could see them, but they were also telling me that there was something very important that I was supposed to see in Cusco and they had something to do with it. And so I sort of just soaked that in and then they kind of faded out of my reality. And then here I am at Soxe Woman. As I'm laying down to meditate, two beings show up. One of them is a gray, one of the grays, and one of them is what I will call an advanced Incan. This is not like an Incan being or soul that was like an indigenous, you know, very simple kind of roots to the earth type soul. This was an Incan that was like very spiritually advanced incredibly telepathic like their whole energy field was very aligned very charged very big very open and they felt otherworldly in some sense like they just felt like they were almost ascended masters type and this advanced incan and this gray being showed up and they showed me a series of images and they told me that what happened was <laughs> even from my perspective saying this out loud it, it sounds so out there but i'm telling you it, this is what i saw these gray beings showed me that they had, you know, traveling in their spaceships, found these really intense energy portals around Peru. And in a far, far off time before human beings were probably even here, they landed in Peru and they were harnessing the energies from these particular vortexes that were, you know, these sort of ley lines within Peru. And they would build these sort of stone structures in order to harness the energy. These very precision, almost laser cut structures, right? And 
at some point in time, they had made contact with the indigenous beings of the land, which were these very sort of primitive, very simple-minded human beings. And they did something to these human beings. I am not sure what, but it sort of, they showed me that they had upgraded them or they had tinkered with them. I don't know how, but what resulted from that were these very, very advanced human beings that had these incredible, masterful, telepathic, telekinetic, psychic, very charged gifts. And it was sort of these ETs showed these humans or altered these humans in order to have these specific gifts. And they took a small group of these indigenous beings and somehow made them very advanced. And they taught them this sound technology is the best way I can say it, where I was seeing groups of these advanced Incans standing around these stones, reciting some sort of mantra or humming some sort of certain frequencies with this very intense telepathic slash sort of telekinetic energy, something that I have never experienced or seen before. So this was very mind blowing to me as I was seeing it. And one person could sit with a small stone and sort of sing these mantras or songs or invocations while holding this very focused psychic charge. And what would happen is these stones would become like lifted, like very light and airy and malleable, like they could almost bend them like clay. And they showed me how one person could do a small stone, but if the stones got bigger, they needed two or three people. And then I was, they were showing me visions of some of those really large stones, like, um, like 20 people in a circle around that stone, humming these really intense kind of vibratory sounds out of their throat. And then with this very focused intention, we're able to like lift and move these rocks. And then I saw that they had this new sort of what I call the advanced Incans were building all of what we saw around Cusco. It wasn't that it was ETs, the greys. I saw them as having built some of them and that's what they had acknowledged to me. But then they had passed that knowledge and that wisdom on to these other upgraded, what I'm calling advanced Incans, and that they were the ones that were able to utilize sound and frequency and intention and psychic focus in order to move these stones with little to no effort. And then they were the ones that built all of these sort of megaliths all over the place. Now, I just want to say again, like, I'm not here to rewrite the history. I'm just telling you what I saw. It made sense to me when I saw it. It was amazing. But to continue on with that story, right after we had gone to Soxay Woman and I had gotten that download, we met a local tour guide who had access or knew about all of these ancient sites in Peru that were not open to the tourists, meaning they just weren't popular. Nobody ever knew about them. They were super obscure. They were hidden in the mountains. And unless you knew somebody local that knew where they were, you weren't going to see them. And so she had contacted us and said she wanted to take us on this special tour. So she takes us into this area outside of Cusco. It's the mountains are so deep and so beautiful. I mean, they just reach to the heavens. Like you're going down these roads and you're just like, how are mountains jutting out this high? You know, it just, it had this mystical, mystical quality about it. But anyway, she drives us down this road and we park on the side of the road and we get out and you're kind of looking at all these mountains and you're thinking like, where is she taking us? And next thing you know, where she's hiking us up the side of these hills. And then we kind of get up into this area and you can kind of see these like 
what I want to call primitive stone walls, not like those precision laser cut fit together, but, but like just crude rocks that were dug from the earth, but sort of trying to mimic these more refined, perfect walls that were kind of clustered all over the place. We're walking up these primitive wallways, and when we walk up further and further, and we're hiking quite a bit, we come up to this opening, and there is this huge cave shaped like a triangle, like tucked back away into the mountain. Now, unless you had been happened to be climbing up there, you would have never known that this was there. There's no way walking down that road any direction would you ever know that there's this massive triangle cave sitting up there. And next to this triangle cave, there is a carving, like a perfect laser cut etched carving of uh, like a doorway there. And there's also this other monolith that has some sort of interesting shape, but the top half of it was totally broken off. So you couldn't see what was on the top half of it. Both of those structures were made out of this really dark, dark gray stone, which did not match any of the other stones that were around there. The other interesting thing was that the triangle cave, which was a natural formation, it was just a natural triangle. I will share this picture with you guys on um, Instagram so you can see what I'm talking about. It was about halfway covered up with these primitive stones. So it was like stones that were dug out of the ground and they were stacked up about halfway. And we were up there and we're like, whoa, this is far out. Like, how would you even know this is up here? Well, what was happening to me was this. As we were walking up, this Incan woman starts walking with me. And I'm she's like primitive Incan woman, like a very simple roots to the earth type Incan woman. She's an old lady. And she's telling me the story about this place. She's telling me she grew up there. She's telling me that these mountains were her brothers and her grandfathers and the, the spirits of the ancestors. And this is what her village believed. This was the belief system. And she said that her grandfather had founded, sort of built this little village up here in this mountain way. And I'm sort of soaking in this whole history. I'm like, once again, I'm getting this like ghostly tour. I'm learning things about this place that I don't think everybody else gets to know, but it's really cool. So I'm, I'm with this old woman. And when we get up to the site where there's these ancient carvings next to this gigantic kind of cave, even the ancient Incan people would have never found those laser cut stones unless they had been climbing super high up in the mountains. And what for what reason would they even want to be up there? You know, she told me, this Incan woman told me that her grandfather found those stones up there. And he knew that there was something mystical about them. So he decided to start building the village there. And that's when they started taking out these like old primitive stones and building the little walkways and the wallways and building the little hut looking things up there. And as she's telling me this, I was sitting against the monolith that was broken off on the top. And I was looking directly into this triangle cave. And I saw something peek out as though they were like looking through the edge of a doorway. And they looked out at me and stared at me. And I looked at it. And I was quite shocked at what I saw. And I was like, no, I did not just see that. But yes, I did. And as soon as I questioned it, it moved out of view. About a minute later, it peeked back out a second time. And so then I knew for certain I saw what I saw. And what I saw was it looked like a human-ish being with reptilian skin. 
It looked like if I had mixed the DNA of a snake with a human being and there was this very sort of Slytherin reptile quality about this thing that peeked out out of the cave. But it wasn't, in my experience, what I would call like a reptilian. And we've talked about this in previous episodes about like these reptilian starseed type energies that come from other planets. To me, this was some kind of like reptoid half human situation that lived inside this cave. And I thought I was losing my mind. Right when I saw this, the old Incan woman who had been following me around said, when my grandfather built the village here, those beings would come out of that cave and we were frightened of them. And she said, not because they were harming us or doing anything bad to us, but because they have sort of this very spooky kind of energy, right? This very like dark kind of shadowy vibe to them. And she said that her grandfather and the people of the village did some sort of ceremony or ritual and they blocked up the entire triangle with these stones. And she said it used to be filled up all the way to the top in order to block these beings from being able to come out. And she said in modern times, when modern man came around and discovered this cave that had been blocked up, she said that they had tore down the stones to see if there was treasure or something back there. She said, so it's not normally half full. She said it was normally fully full. And when you actually walk up to the cave, the cave was like caved in. There was no pathways. There was no tunnels. It was just like rubble and dirt and rocks. And it just seemed like it went nowhere. But to me, you know, I knew that this was like some sort of opening. And then lo and behold, the advanced Incan that I had experienced at Soxay Woman suddenly shows up. And he's sort of representative of like the leader of these like advanced Incans that I believed at that point in time were sort of altered or given these special gifts by these very advanced greys from some other place. And the advanced Incan tells me that a long, 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 long time ago, they were doing their sound frequency, telekinetic meditations, whatever they were doing, and they were building these stone megaliths everywhere. And the intensity of the vibration that they were creating attracted the attention of these lizard-like beings that were living under the ground in the mountains. And he said, slowly, one by one, they started coming up out of the ground and out of the mountains, and they were peeking at them from a distance. And I saw this whole thing play out like a movie, like these like rep reptilian looking beings were peeking out behind the bushes like what's going on over there they're humming they're doing all this kind of crazy stuff we can hear it from below the surface and slowly inch by inch they got closer and closer until they actually met and then there was a meeting between one of these reptilian type beings and one of the advanced Incans and the advanced Incan told me that this reptilian being invited the advanced Incans to come see their underground community. And the advanced Incan told me that there is a whole network, a whole city of caves and rooms and spaces underneath the mountains, and that there was a whole bunch of these reptilian beings that were living under the mountains. And he said that this triangle that we were at was the main entrance to basically the capital of this underground reptilian city okay i know this sounds so crazy i'm saying this out loud and i'm just like oh my god this is so crazy but <laughs> it, it it all comes full circle here in a second and and so this is what he tells me and i'm just like okay interesting you know you know what am i making with this it's sort of like i'm getting this little pieces of the puzzle of this whole peruvian history right 
And I think I'm crazy. I think I've lost my marbles at this point. I share the story, but I'm also like the biggest skeptic in the room. I'm just like, I don't know what's going on. These people are here. They're telling me all these things. There's reptilians coming out of triangle caves. I say it and I move on, right? Now, later on, when I get back home to Hawaii, I was working on some paintings and I decided to find something to entertain myself. And I thought, you know what? I haven't watched that show Ancient Aliens in a long time. I wonder if they have a new season out. And sure enough, they did. And I start sort of like playing through all of the episodes from episode one as I'm working on this painting. And at some point later on in the day, it comes to episode eight of season 14. I'm pretty sure that was the right episode. Episode 8, season 14. And they're introducing it and they're saying, oh, Ancient Aliens is going to Peru and we're going to look at all the ancient sites over there. And I get excited. I'm like, oh, this is awesome because they're showing clips of Soxay Woman. They're showing clips of places that I was actually just at just a few weeks earlier. And as I'm watching the episode, I am absolutely losing it because the ancient astronaut theorist believed that there was a network of caves underneath the ground where there were these reptile beings. No. <laughs> yeah, they're like saying this on the show. And they're showing how the Peruvians, these ancient beings, had carved, it looked like sort of these snakes on the side of the rocks. And they're saying, see, this is proof of these snake people that were living under the ground. And then they're like at this tiny little hole, I'm telling you, it was like two or three feet high. And it was like just this teeny tiny crack in the side of the rock. And they're saying, this is supposedly an entrance into these underground <laughs> networks of this, <laughs> these reptile cities. And I'm screaming at the TV and I'm like, oh my God, it's real. And then I was like, and I'm laughing because I know where the capital entrance is and it's huge, <laughs> you know? And I'm like kind of laughing that they're looking at this teeny little crack in the rock. I was blown away. It wow. was like, it felt like this huge validation of this thing that I was just like, that is the most like far out thing that I've ever seen. And to watch an entire show that is saying that this is the thing that the ancient people or the historians or certain kind of esoteric, you know, people of Peru believe that this is what's going on. And I felt like, that is what's going on. That's 100% that's going on. And if that is what is going on, then perhaps this gray alien advanced Incan sound telekinesis rock formation thing might also be true. I mean, maybe not, but I was like, what? You know, and here's what else is interesting is after I had had that whole download and I told the tour guide who brought us up there and my friends who were with me, look, this is what I saw. The tour guide said, that's very interesting that you say that because that megalith that I was leaning against, that the top half was chopped off, she said back in the like 1940s or 50s when they had discovered that area up there, these treasure hunters came up there and put dynamite on that rock and they broke oh, it geez. open thinking that there might be gold underneath it. She said the piece that got broken off was a big carved snake. Oh on the yeah on top of the megalith which i did not know because it was no longer there and the advanced incan said that they put that laser cut doorway in the wall to mark like a sign that said this is the portal in to 
this underground city oh. with the reptile beings and this is why they built like it was like the rocks and the shapes were like a language it wasn't like hieroglyphics it was like the shapes of the rock told the story so there you go wow. that is a crazy story but man it got validated well you just you discovered an answer to a, a you know an age-old question on how they did these walls i'm not going to sit here and try to prove to everybody in the world no that's what it is but that's what i saw yeah, they should they should have you as a host on Ancient Aliens. Yeah. <laughs> I have a fantasy because I've been having so many just far out experiences every time I go to these ancient sites. I was like, I would love to just do a tour around the world and just get these downloads and just write a small book about like what's going on and what I saw. But yeah, it seems um, kind of never ending. Every time I go to one of these ancient sites, like something really phenomenal happens like at that level. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, I'll talk a little bit about stones. Mine's nowhere near as exciting and interesting as yours, but I was able to go to Stonehenge, which there's probably many of you out there that have. And to be honest, I wasn't super excited about it because supposedly it's been relocated and, you know, I, I still want to go, but it it wasn't going to be the highlight of my trip by any, any means. But we were able to go out to Stonehenge and we were there in the off season. So it really wasn't very crowded at all. And we were able to meditate. First of all, we show up and there's rooks everywhere from the Raven Crow family over here in America. And so I was super excited about that because they were really friendly and, and all over the place. And it was a lovely day. And my friend and I were able to sit down and meditate. And, and Stonehenge, you can't get close to the stones. It's, it's all roped off. But we were able to sit and meditate. And it, as soon as I meditated, I just felt this buzzing energy kind of run through my body. And... I could see Stonehenge in my mind's eye and all of a sudden this green light shone down on Stonehenge and through it. And it became really, really clear that it is a vortex or a portal. And that if it is true that it's relocated, that the energy came along with those stones because it was definitely happening right here. So there's this green light that's shining down on this and it's going beyond the stones down into the center of the planet. And it's very clear that this is a portal for alien energy to enter and come in and also for humans to exit and travel into other dimensions. So it runs both directions. And so I was getting this and I was just shocked by it because it really wasn't at all what I expected. And my friend, we got done meditating and, and uh, you know, I'm like, you're not going to believe this. And she's like, you're not going to believe this. And we're kind of arguing over who would get to talk first. And, and she's kind of like you, Jude, she has a very strong connection with aliens. And we both saw the exact same thing, which was just a trip. And so after we left there, we went over to Avebury. Now, Avebury, I think it's like 20, 25 miles away from Stonehenge. And it's a Neolithic henge, a stone circle, but it's huge. You're able to walk up and touch the stones and it's much quieter and it's kind of sleepy and they're sheep kind of meandering through there and it's very misty and there are these huge beautiful stones and as I came into that space I also started feeling that buzzingness again kind of running through my body and it is believed that both Stonehenge and Avebury are on uh, the St. Michael ley line and we've talked about ley lines a little bit in the past but for those of you that aren't familiar with that ley lines are alignments between prominent historic and sacred sites or landmarks. It's almost like this um, sacred geometric map that connects all of these amazing spaces. It crisscrosses over the globe. And there are a lot of these 
places along these ley lines. And then as the ley lines intersect are also like the pyramids of Giza and Stonehenge is in one of these intersections. Here we are out in Avebury at this amazing spot and we're able to walk up to each of the stones and each of the stones, it's almost like they had their own personality. It's almost as if they were beings. And, you know, I love that about the um, indigenous peoples that they really saw trees and stones and water as, as beings and respected them that way. But these stones were like that. And each one, as we walked up and we could touch the stones, it would trigger a healing or a sensation or an energy within my physical body, each one of them very different. It's almost like they each had a personality and had something new to offer. And we had our dowsing rods with us, which was super interesting because we would walk with the dowsing rods out and as we got close to the circle, the outside circle of these stones, the dowsing rods would start spinning and going crazy. And then as we would walk up to each individual stone, as we got close to the stone, they would start spinning and then they would calm down and they would kind of dance around or do this lovely fluid kind of motion as we got closer to the stones, which was really, really beautiful. So that experience for me it was the first time that I really saw stones as having their own independent personality and energy, which was just magnificent. I, I can't wait to go back. And I could have spent all day there. And again, being able to touch them, lean against them and sit at the base of them and meditate was amazing. And one thing that happens in all over England, which I just love, are these trees. People decorate trees and there's a word for them. And I I can't remember the name of it. I think it's a coddle tree or something similar to that. And you go to these sacred sites and people take offerings and they wrap ribbons and they put coins and pieces of jewelry and decorate these trees. And part of the old practice of this was that people would take ribbons and they would run them through water and they would send an intention to heal from an ailment. And then they would tie these beautiful colorful ribbons in trees. And then as the ribbon disintegrated, it was believed that their ailment would also disintegrate. But you go to these sacred sites and there are trees that are fully decorated and it's just so magical. And while we were there, we also went into Cornwall and went to this beautiful St. Nectan's waterfall. And you hike through this beautiful woodland area. It's like a mile or two hike in. It was, it was kind of a difficult hike, to be honest. But you get to the top and then you hike down into this waterfall and the water shoots out of this perfect circle of stone. And as it comes out, it makes a shallow pool. So you can stand in this shallow pool and be in water and watch this waterfall come out. And we actually took turns with, we had someone on each side and they would hold onto our arms and we would be able to be dipped backwards into this waterfall. But in all of the cracks of the stones are coins or wedding rings or pieces of jewelry. And to see this and to see, like I saw a beautiful diamond wedding band sitting in a crack. And it's so sacred, you know, and I'm sure that there's probably someone that passed that used to wear that and somebody left that as an offering there. But you see all of these really meaningful things, offerings that are left. And it, it's just another magical spot where people go to heal and give offerings to back up their intention. And then there's this sacred water. And again, the fairy energy there is amazing. You just do not feel alone. And both my friend and I were like, do you hear that? Do you hear singing? It sounded almost like kids singing or kids laughter in this area. Super magical. 
You're making me want to go there really bad. If you oh, ever you go, go, I want to go with you. I'm going to go back. Yeah. And you talking about how every stone like opened up a different healing portal for you. And I was like, oh, yeah, like I could totally see that. I never thought of that or like would perceive it that way. But I could see that like each structure is like its own code for a specific. It's like going through the chakras almost. Yeah. Okay. So my next story is still in Peru. But this is the story of all stories. And I feel like, you know, if there are any stories that I have that would make people write me off for good, this might be <laughs> one of them. But it happened and it was my experience and I'm going to share it with you. So this was when I went to Machu Picchu. And uh, I briefly talked about it a little bit in previous episodes, but I'm going to give you the whole the whole sequence of events. So when we were in the plant medicine ceremony and I had just gotten wind that I was not able to go to Costa Rica according to my original plan, Chris, who was at the ceremony with me, got a download during ceremony that said, I am supposed to take you to Machu Picchu. And this is how this whole trip even started. And I was like, fantastic. I got a tour guide, you speak Spanish. This sounds great. I don't know what Machu Picchu is, but let's go. Let's do it. So next thing he says is, I have a shaman who's going to meet us in Machu Picchu, and we are going to take San Pedro, which is a cactus. And I have never done any uh, mescaline-type um, plant medicine before. And I was a, a little bit anxious about it because I am incredibly sensitive. I don't need any psychedelics at all, nothing. Even like secondhand smoke of marijuana will take me places, you know. So, And then you add to it that we're going to go see this beautiful site. I was excited to have this experience. I wasn't hesitant of it, but I knew that something very special was going to happen. So we do the cactus ceremony and we go to Machu Picchu which by the way it was during COVID we were pretty much the only people in all of Machu Picchu which never happens we were the very first tour that this particular shaman had had in almost a year and he had even told us that every single time he had been up to Machu Picchu in that previous year it had been it's so deep in the mountains it can be very foggy and very thick where you can't really see that far ahead of you and this day that we went up, it was clear skies, the sun was shining, and there was two condors circling around the sun as we came up. Okay, this was like right after we had drinking the, the cactus. Now, in my experience, you know, ayahuasca is a very female energy, and the mescaline was very clearly a masculine energy. And for me, it was very powerful because I realized after taking it that I had been depleted of divine masculine energy, like that deep core, like unconditional love from the divine masculine, which I felt through this cactus. It was very powerful for me and very emotional. And I got to say, it sort of felt like my divine feminine masculine hemispheres completely like locked in place and aligned. So that in itself was just very healing. As far as psychedelically, it's not like one of those type of things you take and everything's like melting and it's all crazy. You know, it wasn't really that crazy except for there was a clear sense of a different sort of spirit coursing through my system, supporting me and helping everything open up. So full disclosure, I was on something during this experience. But in my opinion, it just sort of opened and elevated what I already have. And I don't think I would have needed any psychedelic whatsoever to have this experience. I think it just enhanced what I was about to, to witness. Now, when we went to Machu Picchu, I actually thought that Machu Picchu was like this overlook 
and you and you see the classic famous pictures you snap some photos and then you leave and i thought most of machu picchu was going to be like the hike in and the hike out and i was totally wrong i did not know until we had already taken the medicine that we had already looked at the overlook and i thought we were about to turn around and start heading back down to town and they're like oh no we're gonna walk through this place and i was like what we get to go in there and walk around oh yeah all day we get to go in all day for the next eight hours we're gonna be basically rolling around which is what we ended up doing rolling around by ourselves on this gorgeous beautiful sunny day uh on machu picchu while we are drinking cactus so okay that's amazing so we start making our descent into the place you have to kind of walk down this hill and meander down these pathways and then you come to the main entrance of machu picchu and just like in the story when i went to Tikal. I was walking in and not prepared for what was about to happen. But as soon as I entered that doorway, this huge gust of wind came out of nowhere, blew back at me, and it was so intense. Same experience I had in Tikal. It was just this total, like, massive download, flash images of my life that I once lived there. And it was so powerful that it actually knocked me to the ground. I actually had to sit down and I was just sobbing, sobbing, sobbing because I was no longer me in that exact moment. I was this old, short, wrinkly woman. I mean, very wrinkly, very old, dark skin. I could feel the wrinkles hanging off my face and my hands. I'd look down at my hands and I look like this old lady. I was looking through the doorway and I was seeing like flash images of people of my family, of my community, of the people I love, the stories we shared, the laughter happening in the background, the kids playing and running through the streets, and that these stone, which was, I want to say, primitive stonework, it like, like taken from the ground and stacked together. And I knew that there was these villages and huts built up all around there. What was different about this place than to call was those spirits weren't actually there. It was imprinted residual memory. It was like flash peaks of memories that I had that no longer existed. And that's why it was so emotionally intense for me because I knew, and I'm trying not to cry thinking about it right now, I knew that I would never see it again. Um, I would never hug those people. And I just missed everybody. I just missed everybody. Like I can't even tell you I missed everybody. And uh, I didn't even... I didn't even know how much I missed it until I saw it again, you know? I walked in, and to be honest with you, nobody was there. There was no ghost of Cousin Joe walking around. Do you know what I mean? There was no yeah. no spirits. It was fully empty. And uh, I thought that was weird because I had gone through that experience and to call. But when I was walking through, I would walk by like a certain building and these like flashes of me as a little girl looking through that window would come back or this time that I hugged that person that I knew I loved so much or that time that this person was going through something really hard and I advised them and counseled them through it and I was just this old lady the whole time walking around like I had hardly any sense of being Jude in this modern time I was an old woman having a reunion and visiting a place that I had not been to and there was also this knowing that this was the very first lifetime as a human being that I had ever had. This was my very first wow. life as a human being. I absolutely knew that with every facet of my being. 
And as I was walking through this village, I also had this great memory and this great big welling of love in my heart because this community that lived there was so balanced. It was just so healthy and it was so happy and that there was this great sense of everybody knowing everybody and, and supporting everybody there. And I was so, so happy to remember it and remember what it was like to live so close to the earth and to feel so wholesome with your community. Like it was the most incredible feeling. So now we're walking and to give you a scope of the size, it takes you all day to walk from one end of Machu Picchu and then out again. It would basically take you all day if you were taking your time. And all of it is constructed out of these primitive looking stones, walls, buildings, windowways, doorways, like, but then suddenly mixed in the first place that we landed was this one structure. It looked like a room or it used to be a room. And it was, let's just say about 10 by 10 room with a doorway. This room that was jutting out out of the middle of nowhere was clearly not part of whatever this primitive city was these were laser cut stones the stones were a totally different color they were super smooth and it was clearly some just random 10 by 10 foot room with a door the shaman who took us there he was doing these chants and playing this drum the whole time and we weren't really talking or communicating with each other but he would just sort of take us to a, a spot and he would just stop and we would sit there for you know maybe 20 minutes or so and we would just have a meditation and he would just continue playing these drums well i'm sitting at the doorway of this room and I'm having a hard time because I'm not used to being activated on mescaline and I don't know if I want to puke or cry or poop or I don't know what I want to do. It's just, it's so intense. Oh. And as I'm looking down, these two giant feet step into my view as I'm looking down at the ground and I look up and it's a Lemurian, like a fully wow. super tall robed beautiful what I understand to be Lemurians like Lemurians as I know from Shasta Lemurians as I know from Kauai and they are just looking at me and I am looking at them and we're sitting there in silence as these chantings are going on and I'm sort of waiting and thinking like well Chris told me I'm supposed to get some sort of message here does this being this Lemurian who I'm sort of shocked is even here in Machu Picchu do you have anything to say to me it was like this very, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like this really incredibly advanced form of telepathy where it was just a total knowing. It wasn't like I heard words. It was just I absolutely knew. And he said to me in that moment, you already know. And I knew what he meant. And I knew that there was something over yonder. I could see it from my viewpoint. And that was the place that I needed to go. He just more or less showed up not to tell me anything except that we are here. The Lemurians are here. And I was like, okay. So we sat there for several minutes. We started to meander our way down. And um, the shaman's name was Kucho, by the way. Kucho stops us at this one, which looks like a hole in the rocks in the, in the cave. And he speaks very broken English. But he starts talking about how another time he had gone there and that there were these underground crystal caverns, like crystal cities underneath the mountain, which I was not telling him that I was seeing these Lemurians, which, as we know, have these sort of very crystalline 
cities underground under the mountains and Cucho being the shaman said that he had had several experiences where he would brought underground and he saw these crystal cities and I'm just feeling more and more validated because I was a little bit confused as to what are the Lemurians doing here I was not expecting to see them so now we move further down and we're coming up to this place that has been drawing my eye the entire time and I don't even know why but it's sort of like this like little pinnacle that is in the middle of Machu Picchu and we walk up there And this entire platform is full of laser cut rooms. Like the whole of Machu Picchu was very primitive. And then there's just this one section where it's wall after wall, room after room of these precision, like, like next level, like even more laser cut looking than Sakse Woman looked. Sakse Woman looked like, like squished together. This place looked like laser cut, sharp angles, like sanded smooth like crazy rock formations you know you're walking up on something that just is out of this world right we're sitting down and in front of me is this room it's like a half of a room it's about 20 feet wide and there's two walls jutting forward about 10 feet deep and it's very symmetrical like from left to right the rocks are all cut exactly the same and it's very symmetrical and there's a red velvet rope right in front of it to probably keep people from walking actually into it and it was so old that some of the rocks were kind of dislodged and out of place but you could tell in its heyday it was like a perfectly symmetrical laser cut half room of some sort and I'm sitting across from it and I hear this voice very loudly saying to me it's the library it's the library it's the library and I just stand up and just kind of almost instinctually walk towards it as I'm walking towards this room Every step I take, the room begins to turn into something else. It is not the room. It is the same shape and it is the same size. But it is like every step I take towards this particular room, it's like I'm looking into a portal from another dimension. And I don't know how to describe this to you, but it was like this stone room was sort of like a very technologically advanced alien ship but it had a vibrational like energy quality to it, but it was very streamlined as though it was like built out of some futuristic material that I can't even explain to you. It was very precision, very streamlined, very advanced, and there was this energy just radiating off of it. And I'm walking towards it like, oh my God, like what is happening? And I walk right up to the velvet rope and inside this quote unquote library, is one of those great aliens. The ones that I've been seeing that I initially saw at the airport that said that they were gonna show me something. And this great alien is sitting there and he's looking at me and as I walk up, he says to me, it's been a while. And in that one sentence, I was by the way, still seeing myself as this old Incan woman. I knew that as this old Incan woman, I used to go visit this stone structure when I lived there. This structure was there and I used to go there and I used to visit with this particular ET who was sitting inside that structure. And I remembered that with full knowing and I kind of laughed because I was like, you're right. It's been a lot of lifetimes Uh, from my first lifetime to my last lifetime. Hopefully here I am again. And um, and I'm kind of just like in awe of like, what am I looking at? And suddenly the walls start glowing with what looks like hieroglyphics of some nature or some language that I cannot tell you. It is very ancient looking. It's super futuristic looking. And it's just like scrolling glyphs 
rolling down the walls of this room and then they start floating off of the walls and they start moving towards me and now they're like soaking into my field like they're moving and just like I'm absorbing these glyphs like a sponge and I'm immediately starting to get overwhelmed I know it's not bad I just don't know what it is and the ET says to me do not try to understand what you are seeing just be open to receive it and I said okay So I just stood there and I watched these sort of glyphs start floating off the wall and they're soaking into me. And I asked, may I please see something? Because I had no idea. I don't know what you're giving me right now. I I had zero ideas of what was happening. But I asked if I could just see one tiny morsel of whatever these glyphs were holding in them. And I watched this one glyph like pulse off the wall, float through the air and go right towards my face. And as it was soaking into my face, I saw the best way I can say this is, you know, the Bible has the story of Genesis, right? Where it's sort of like they say, oh, God said, let there be earth and let there be waters, right? But let's take it back to like universe, like not earth, like the whole of all of our universe. And they showed me that what I was getting in this was like the story of all creation. It was like the genesis of our entire existence of all time. And I knew that that was so profound. And I understood why it was that I was not meant to try even for even a second, try to understand anything that I was getting. I just knew that this information was coming into my spirit body, whether this is something I'm supposed to access in this lifetime or another lifetime, or who knows, I don't even know what it is. But it just felt like I was being downloaded with this information that had sort of all of this information about how our realms work and all the things. And I'm telling you this being like, I don't have all the secrets to the universe, people. I, just, I don't. But there are times now since Machu Picchu that I'm telling you, like, I just know certain things and I don't know how I know them. And I keep going back to, I must have got this at the, the library, right? So I'm soaking in all of this information. And then the ET says to me, there are many meditators, spiritualists, gurus, you know, ascended beings on your planet who will spend lifetimes and their entire lifetime meditating and meditating and meditating to be able to access this portal. And I and he's showing me images of the super old like monk in some Tibetan temple, like saying those mantras a gazillion times. And then finally, at the end of his life, he finally accesses this portal that has all this information in it. And he says, and even still, I can decide whether or not somebody gets to receive what whatever this information is. And then I see this like monk accessing it. And then the ET saying, nope, not today. (laughs) Like you can't come in. Right. So I'm realizing like, whoa, this is a big deal that I'm here and you're letting me get this information. And then he says, this portal, this library is the one place on your planet that anybody on your planet can come to. And I cannot tell them that they cannot receive this information everybody has access if you come to this spot and you sit in front of this you are consciously elevated enough to see the portal and receive it i cannot stop you from getting this information and as he's saying this he's showing me like the tourists that are walking by and taking their instagram pictures and they're standing in front of this like massive like information portal and they're just like cool oblivious oblivious and walking by and um he says you used to come here all the time in your previous life, in your first life, he said, you used to come here and you used to have access to all of this information. And he says, 
but what good would it have done you because you never left this mountaintop? You never knew more of the world. And that's great that you had that, but you couldn't do anything with it. And he says, what you have now is lifetimes and lifetimes of experiences. You've gallivanted around the world. You've seen the suffering of man. You've been through all of these experiences. And now you're given this information again, because now you have reach. Now you know of what's happening and you're going to know how to use and apply this information in a way that's going to be beneficial, that's going to be able to help people. And it was sort of like this massive, like long journey, like situation of like, I fully understood what he meant. It was like, it was the gift that I knew in the download of why I was even there, that this was what I was supposed to receive. I wasn't necessarily sure how I was going to use it or how it was going to apply to things. But I can tell you from that moment on, a lot of things have shifted for me. And so that's what happened. Okay. so interesting. Yeah, that's amazing, Jude. And as I walked away, like it's so all of this happened so fast and it was like it happened and then I almost had to catch my reality check. And I was like, whoa, 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 I'm talking to aliens in some ancient portal. I was like, it's walk away, walk away. And I started stepping away from the uh, library and uh, it faded away. And, and then it was just a regular stone building. So after I went to the library, just for a quick note. I did talk to the Lemurians a little bit more, and they did explain to me that there was a community of them there in Machu Picchu. They were stewarding the portal that was there, and that originally when those ETs came, they came to Machu Picchu, they landed there, they built those structures, the actual greys built those structures there. Eventually, primitive Incans came, found these structures, said, whoa, this is a sacred site, let's build our village around here, and that's what existed there for quite a long time. But the two were totally separate. The, the, the primitive Incans did not build those megaliths there. The Lemurians also recognized this as being a very powerful portal, and they were left there to steward these portals. So they were constantly working to channel energies out. And from what they told me, there was all these different ley lines that were intersecting right there in that mountain spot. And the Lemurians were constantly doing sort of these like rituals and ceremonies in order to move the excess energy that needed to leave the planet. And I could see them. I could see them channeling these energies out. And Kucho, the shaman, said unbeknownst to my experience that he has been going up there since the 70s and he said that the energy is a lot different he didn't say in which way he said in the last two or three years since covid had started he said the energy has completely shifted he's like i've been coming here since the 70s the energy is uh, like night and day difference and the lemurians told me themselves that the frequencies on the planet are much higher than they have ever experienced in their entire existence of being on planet earth so the validation later on happened when I got home and I had downloaded all these stories to my husband and I was like, I know this sounds totally crazy. I don't know what to make of it. It's what happened. And that first week when we were home, we were sitting on the couch watching TV and we were watching this interview of this um, this sort of archaeological spiritualist. And he starts talking about how there are these quote unquote libraries peppered all over the planet that hold ancient knowledge and information. And if you have the conscious awareness to perceive it, you can go to these sites and you can download all of this information. 
that comes from some other like more advanced source. And I'm like slapping my husband, you know, I'm like, did you hear that? Did you hear that? <laughs> like, it's a thing. You know, this guy was saying that there was one in the Middle East and there's one in um, South America and there's one, you know, he's like naming these different countries that have these specific portals that he himself had gone to. And he says, and if you know how to access the information with consciousness, you can get these downloads. And I knew he didn't mention Machu Picchu, but I knew that. I had just visited one. So that right there was this massive validation because I've never heard of such a thing. I didn't know there could be like a, a portal temple stone library that nobody knows is what it is and yet you can see it. So that was that. And then immediately after that interview, I was on Amazon Prime and there was this, you know how they give you the little suggestions, right? There was this show called ETs Among Us. And I read the little caption and it was like a documentary about people who claim to have one-on-one -on -one contact with ETs. And of course, I was like, well, that sounds interesting. Let me see what other people are saying, right? So I turn on the video and me and my husband are watching it. And it's very interesting. It's very, you know, clearly the people in this documentary, if you're to watch it, are very sort of out there, starseed, ET. They're talking about light language. They're talking about channelings. They're talking about all this stuff. Mm. But what got me was this one woman is talking about an ET visitation that she had. And they had entered her room and her walls filled up with these glyphs and hieroglyphics that were glowing. And then they started oh. floating off the wall and soaking no. into her swear. And I was like slapping my husband. Do you hear this? Like, are you catching this? And he's like, I never not believed you. You know, I was like, but I didn't even believe me. I didn't even believe me. That was crazy. And, uh, so here's this woman on this documentary talking about the exact same thing in the exact way I described it. So I feel like spirit was sort of like making sure I had these extra validations so I didn't just like chuck it out and just say, nah, I was just, I was just seeing things. I was just on cactus or whatever, you know, it, it, it was yeah. legit. That's what I experienced. Yeah. You get such good validation. I love it. All right. So my last story is about the Rio Grande River Gorge in Taos, New Mexico. And I went there with my husband and I love New Mexico. It's so beautiful. And we had such an amazing time. So the Rio Grande is this very, very deep gorge outside of Taos. You kind of wander out into flat land and there's not much out there, just kind of some cactus and some sage. And, and then there's this very, very deep, dramatic, beautiful gorge where the river, the Rio Grande River runs below it. What's really interesting about this is that this is not a natural gorge that was forged by the river. This is actually where the North American and the Pacific plates of the earth meet and scrape together with one another. And they formed this kind of crack or this fissure and the river runs through that. So beneath this river and this river is following this crack that's actually the plates of the earth. So it has such a deep earthly connecting energy. There's a beautiful bridge that goes over the gorge and we parked on the other side and there were a lot of indigenous people there selling wares. They were selling crystals and, and stones and handmade crafts, which was really fun. And I just felt kind of uneasy right from the beginning. It was beautiful and powerful but I just felt a little bit uneasy. And we took a little bit of a walk and walked along the edge of the gorge. And then we walked over the river. 
So after we checked in with these people selling their wares, we decided to walk over the bridge before we walked along the edge of the gorge. And we walked out to the middle of the bridge to look down into the gorge. And there are signs all over this bridge asking people to not jump. There are signs that have emergency numbers and there's a little phone to pick up and call somebody if you're in a space where you are considering committing suicide and jumping, which is tragic and really disturbing. So I guess a lot of people in the past have jumped off this bridge. And I think that, I think I read that there were like an average of two people a year that jump off this bridge to commit suicide. That kind of took away a little of the the beauty of the place. And we walked back over the bridge back to the side where our car was. And we hiked along the edge of the, of the gorge. And my husband walked along and I sat to meditate for a while. And as I was looking down over this deep, deep edge into this deep gorge, and I should have looked up for you how deep it is. Cause it's really deep and amazing. I saw this energy field that kind of rolled and floated above the water, like this mystic energy field that floated above the river. And I heard drumming and chanting. And while there was all this tragic, painful energy of people taking their lives and jumping into the river, there was also this sense of energy there of sacrifice and sacred energy. And I could see in my third eye, people leaping or jumping and I know this sounds really gory, but leaping or jumping to their death over this gorge, but in a state of higher connection, of trust, of beauty, and in a sense of oneness and, and full clarity and sacred energy. And so I don't, and I need to study this a little bit more. I don't know if this is something, if there was sacrifice done in this area or it says if people were committing suicide, this is old, old people committing suicide, jumping to their death, but not out of desperation, but out of a sense that they were ready to travel beyond. And maybe they weren't leaping to their death. Maybe they were flying or going through this portal because it definitely had a vortex and portal energy. So it kind of reminded me a little bit of your story, Jude, about Polihale, is that it, there was this energy moving moving down with the river that I felt that if somebody were to leap or jump before they would hit the actual river, the water, they would hit this portal energy or the space where they would be carried beyond this dimension before they would actually crash. No disrespect for families that have experienced loved ones that have committed suicide. I myself have loved ones that have, and it's horrible, but there was this sense of wonder and beauty and knowledge and clarity in that, that I really totally haven't been able to grasp onto yet. Does that make any sense to you? That's absolutely fascinating. And I could totally see that at some point in our spiritual history that we could have believed or felt or sensed something like that and believed that to be like a, a sacrifice, a self-sacrifice for the greater, like a test of faith. You're so dedicated to this higher knowing that you will take a leap of faith, literally, and jump through this portal. I, I believe it. I, I could totally see that. I never would ever have conceived that in my mind ever until you said that, but that's incredible. Yeah. And there were, there were old people that were near the end of their lives that were, it's like they would say goodbye to their loved ones and there would be this celebration and they would, they would jump. It's like they would, they would go back to mother earth and jump to this gorge to return. But then there were also religious sacrifices, like you said, where people would trust or, or be ready to travel to a new portal. So there were all these reasons that people have jumped from the edge, some horrible and desperate and tragic 
and horrific and some beautiful and sacred and magical and deep. It was an amazing experience. And like I said, your story of Polihale is so interesting and so fascinating to me and so scary to me. But this is kind of like my little tiny glimpse into that. And it was almost like, like I said, like this misty energy that flowed with the river that caught people before they actually hit the water. Or it would it would take them out of their physical body at that space before their actual physical physical body would hit the bottom. I think that's incredible. And and from my understanding, there's many um, exiting portals uh, all over the world, different places that different cultures have observed to be these portals for entering and exiting of souls. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with my Polahale story, it is on the Astral Projection and Ghost Stories 2 episode. It's at the end of that one. So if you want to hear that story, that's on there. All right. Thank you all for joining us for this episode. We are so grateful to be part of this amazing community, and we thank you so much for listening, for all of your wonderful comments that you leave us on Instagram, for the five-star reviews that you've given us. We appreciate you, and thank you. Thank you for the love and support. As always, much love and aloha. Take care.